Open up your Bibles to Proverbs 10. I like this scripture. It says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. And then right across the page, you got Proverbs 10.22, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. It says, By humility and fear of the Lord are honor, riches, honor, and life. That, you know, the, how many of you know the Bible says riches quite often? It talks about making us rich. And I know that isn't just finances, but it does include finances. And everybody tries to deceive you into thinking it does not include finances. They're grossly taking the scripture out of context because the Bible is very holistic in that it's our health, our, our wealth, our relationships, our salvation spiritually and everything. God, how many of you know God cares about every single thing in our lives? And he wants you to prosper. He says, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to be able to steward larger sums of resources for him, uh, for his kingdom, I should say, excuse me. And when we do that, it brings joy. How many of you want to help God in a big way than, more than just in a little way? Yeah. Amen. And when we sow bigger, we go, and I wouldn't say just like go so crazy, sow a little bit more all the time. How many of you know, just here a little, there a little, we're called to grow just a little bit at a time. And then you can sustain it better. And then it's not as dramatic uh, of a change and transition in your development. But God wants us uh, to continue to give and to give more. And if we give more, then God can do more for us. And I think that's really important. We've got the year-end offering coming up, and that's June the 26th. We, how many of you noticed the new roof on the church? Anybody? Oh, good. Some people have noticed. And uh, that, was, that was about $18,000. The chair, we got by with a $10,000 lift chair instead of $25,000. Pray, everybody say, praise the Lord. It was a $16,000 chair that would have cost close to eighteen to twenty by the time they installed it. We got, an eight, we got it for $8,000 and it only cost us ten. And so it was used, just taken and put in a house, and they decided it was the wrong one, took it back, and they never used it. So it's a blessing. And we need to do some work on the outside. We need to paint the backside of the building. We need to do some repairs on the fascia board. We've got some cement work that needs to be done. So how many will believe with me for a good mid-year offering? And I'm praying for an amount, a specific amount to believe for. Pray for me that I come up, that the Lord shows me a specific amount. I don't believe in just praying in generalities. I believe that we always need to set a goal. We always have a, a fixed point of belief. Because otherwise, how can you agree upon something when nobody really knows what that something really is? And Brother Hagen, I used to say, if you don't expect anything in particular, that's exactly what you'll get, is nothing in particular. So we do need to believe. We need to get on the same page. And I believe that God wants you to prosper as you sow. He will bring back in kind. Let's bow our head. Let's pray and go before the Lord. Father, we just thank you that we honor you with the first fruits of our increase. We bring glory to you by bringing the offering. We can give and it shall be given. And Father, I pray that there would be grace to give, grace to receive, and that you'd give seed to the sower. You'd increase us in that meat that is for us, in that seed sown, in that righteousness, and the fruits of righteousness increased. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, go ahead and bring your, your tithes and the offerings unto the Lord tonight. Amen.
know we went a little long with prayer tonight, but that's all right. I will, pardon? It's a house of prayer, amen. Amen. Well, we got a whole bunch of announcements. Oh, right behind you, Jason, right behind you. <clears throat> um, don't forget, this Sunday is Mother's Day, Invite Sunday, and the cards are just waiting to be given out. These are great cards. Julie makes really cool cards. She likes making those cards. She frames them and puts them in her house when it's after. <laughs> no, but she likes making them. And I like giving them out. Amen. Anybody giving any of them out? Come on now. We need to be giving them out. All right. Good. Catch you some of you. Get you. All right. National Day of Prayer is tomorrow. 7 o'clock tomorrow morning at the Musco Resource Center down, Technology Center down there on the north side of the campus. And then at 7 o'clock at the Penn Central Mall, we're praying for our nation. We're going to be talking about that tonight. SMTI graduation coming up June 5th. Pastor Jeff Schroeder's coming. How many of you like Brother Jeff? This is probably the last time we'll get to have him because he's going to go clear down to Little Rock, Arkansas, and he's going to be pastoring down there as an associate pastor of outreach and, uh, and growth. So those are some great things that are coming up. And uh, we've got Reverend Mario Simoes. He's coming the sec- 22nd of May. And if you want to read a resume, read this bluish green sheet. Wow, he is an accomplished, he's an author of four books. He has spoken all over the world, he's been an interpreter, he knows multiple languages. Very, very accomplished gentleman. He will be speaking, that's Davi's dad, that's Rachel's good friend. And uh, Rachel just loves those foreign exchange students. She's really taken them uh, under her wing and they under her under theirs and they've really become really good friends. Also, we want to just say, they coming up, the Family Leadership Summit is coming up July 9th from 9 to 6, and it's the, the early bird ticket price is 20. We've got Ann Graham Lotz, that's Billy Graham's daughter, T.C. Stallings, he's the actor from War Room, Dr. Del Tackett, tremendous worldview teacher, and Brother Bob is going to be speaking as well. So a great lineup of godly people sharing uh, with the Family Leader Summit. So that's coming up. We're excited about that. Amen. All right, how many of you are excited about the Word tonight? Amen. Amen. We should always esteem the Word, and we should always be prepared to receive the engrafted Word, which is able to save our soul. And I I thank God that uh, the Word is something that if you choose to receive from it, God will increase the revelation. It's all about receiving. I know that because it says, receive with meekness. Everybody say, receive Receive. with meekness the engrafted Word. All right. So we do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word. I ask that you bless this time tonight. Father, speak to us in our hearts. Open our eyes of our understanding. Give me clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness of spirit to speak. And Father, those who are here, ears to your hearts to receive, and a will to do your holy, unchangeable word. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I want to talk about promise-based prayer. Tomorrow is National Day of Prayer. And I believe that promise-based prayer is something that we forget, we know, but we need to have our pure minds stirred up by way of remembrance. We need to be reminded, lest at any time we let it slip, like it says in Hebrews. But I want to start out with 2 Corinthians one twenty. Turn there quickly in your Bibles, and we're going to start there. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul is, is talking, and he's urging them to forgive, and 
and certain things that are going on, and, and he, there's a lot of multiple things. He's hitting a lot of different directions there. But in verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, under the glory of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen, is what I always say. Yea, you know, like it says, <laughs> are yea in him, and I really believe this, uh, all the promises of God are yea and a- in him and amen in him. And I really believe that when we understand that, yes and so be it. How many of you, when you ask God for something, do you believe he's saying yes and so be it? See, but it has to be promised and you have to be in faith. We, you know, we have the promises of God and how many of you know the promises of God don't just happen without a person believing them? How many of you don't, you don't just put your... Uh, your, your Bible out like this and say, okay, I know every promise in the book is mine. Every jot, every, every verse, every, uh, how's that go? Every word, every line. And so I'm going to just lay my Bible there and all those promises are going to make everything come to pass. You know, it's going to pay for our new concrete out here. No, God's word cannot do anything unless it's put in soil. And how many of you know we're called God's husbandry or God's soil? When the seed comes into our heart, then that's when actually God's promises can spring forth like a plant, take root, and then begin to see uh, things happen. Faith comes, faith speaks, and faith grows. Three things. Faith comes in Romans. Faith speaks uh, also in the book of Romans. And then in Thessalonians it says, faith grows exceedingly, like a mustard seed to a large oak. So there's promises. Hebrews 8 and 6 says, that God's covenant is based on prom- better promises. Turn with me there to Hebrews 8, 6. We're going we're to focus in on promises tonight. I think that we got to remember that God has promised us. You know, if I went over to Dr. Lonnie's house and I says, I promise you I'll come mow your yard tomorrow. <laughs> See, I know Gene helps mow the yard. And... Uh, <laughs> you see, I got a yes and an amen on that one. And, and if I promise that, then I would hope that Lonnie would have a great confidence, expectation, and faith in knowing that I would keep my promise. It would be an insult to me if he said, he's not going to come. Ooh, what an insult. And he would never do that to me. But I would never promise to mow his yard. No, I'm just teasing. Because <laughs> it's too big and mine's too big. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I would if it, the situation was right. But, uh, but you know, you, be, you need to be careful what you promise people. I mean, we really do. And I, I like this, you know, because it talks again about God's promises. And we're in Hebrews 8, 6. And it says, But now hath he ob- obtained a more excellent ministry... But how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Everybody say better promises. I mean, you know, God's, he's referring to his word. And what's the better word of the new covenant? That is, we don't have to do it by the keeping of the law, but we do it by faith now. This is a better covenant because it's not based on our works, but it's based on his one singular work on the cross. Can I get an Amen. And we put all our faith in that one work instead of our faith in all of our works that always end up failures because we, no man can keep the law. 
Now, you begin to keep the law when you get born again because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart and the love of God fulfills the law because if you walk in love, you won't break any of those commandments. Can I get an amen? So this is a better covenant and it's got better promises because it's not based on whether I can do it or not. It's based on Jesus who could do it, did do it, and has made it available for us on his tab, so to speak. That's what grace is. And so we get all these benefits and all these blessings, and it's a better covenant because Jesus already won it for us. He already took our place for us. He already paid the price for us. He already defeated the devil. He already obtained all the promises of God for us, and he gives them to us by grace through faith. It is better. It's much better. And therefore, we've got better promises. And when we understand that, then we can realize that if the Old Testament promised good things, we've got promise of even better things. Amen. So God's promises are powerful because they are his word. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Let's turn there quickly. Let's go to Genesis 1. And we can see that we can put, how can I say, great confidence in his promises because his promises is his word. And we know his word is the most powerful thing that there is. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness is upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, you look at all the places where it says, and God said, and you go down to verse 6, and it says this, and God said, let there be the firmament. Verse 9, and it says, and God said, let there be the waters under the heavens. And then in verse 10, it says, and God called the dry land earth. And then in verse 11, and God said, let, there, let the earth bring forth the grass. In verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven and divide the day from the night. And let them be for a sign and for seasons for the days and so on and so forth. And then in verse 20, it says, and God said, let there be waters and bring forth abundantly the moving creatures. And, you know, it just goes on saying, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God's word is spoken, and God's promising the universe and when he says it the promise comes to pass and suddenly there's fish and suddenly there's birds and suddenly there's light and suddenly there's water and suddenly there's earth and suddenly he speaks the promise of his word because his word is his promise and his promise is his word and it creates anything and everything that he desired and he desires that we would have all things that pertain to life and godliness can I get an amen and we need to line up with his word. And that same creative power he created the universe with, he can create with his word our healing, our happiness, our wisdom, our wealth, our success. How many of God's word can create the universe? It can create healing in your body. How many of you know if God created the whole universe with his word, speaking his word, his spoken word created the universe, his spoken word can create prosperity in your life. It can create reconciliation in your life. It can, it can create happiness and joy in your life because it's the spoken word, and the spoken word has no limitations on it. Amen. See, Hebrews eleven three. it says that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We were created by his word. His word can create anything in our lives. The promises of God are yes and amen. The word of God is yes and amen. None of those was, and God said, let there not be water. And God said, let there not be fish in the sea. And God said, let there not be stars and lights in the sky. And God said, let there not be, and let it not be, and let it not be. No, it's yes and amen. Yes and so be it. 
Everything about God's word is a yes and so be it. Can I get an amen? And that's what we got to hook our faith onto. Because sometimes in our own mind, it stops being yes and so be it. It's like, no, I don't think it's going to happen. And we've got to have our confidence in God's word. You know, the centurion, the Bible says, had the greatest faith. Jesus came to him and he says, Master, my, faith, my servant lieth home of a palsy. And Jesus said, I will come into your house and heal him. He says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house and heal him. Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Now, I, wow, speak the promise only and my servant shall be healed. See, it was not about his request. It's not how hard he asked Jesus. It's not if he got down and begged Jesus. Not if he'd been good enough and felt worthy enough to ask Jesus. Had nothing to do with the way he asked. It was not about his request. It was not even about Jesus coming in to his house because he said, no, I'm not worthy for you to come out. Speak the word only. And my you know what the total focus was? It was his spoken word. It wasn't his, you know, way that he approached Jesus. It wasn't about even Jesus coming to his house and what Jesus would do. It wasn't about what he was doing. It wasn't about what Jesus was doing. He made it solely and completely about speak the word. And what's that next word? Only. And my servant shall be healed. See, when we, when we come to a place where we begin to understand the power of God's spoken word, a lot of things are going to change. Turn with me to Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11, this is a scripture we all know. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from the heavens, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth. In other words, that rain comes down, it doesn't go back up. I mean, it evaporates back up later, but it waters things and it, it changes the plants. It changes the, the streams. It brings water to drink. Let me say it again. The rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. When the, when, tell you what, when the water comes out, how many of you know the word is likened unto water that with the washing of the word, the husband is supposed to teach the wife. And the word, I'll tell you what, you speak the word to a sinner, he either has to reject Jesus or he has to receive. He either hardens his heart or he softens his heart. The word never occurs without affecting something. You can't speak the word and have it not affect, even to the positive or to the negative. And so he restates it in a way now in verse 11 that is really a restating. So shall my word be, or he likens it and makes it analogous to, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. So it'll be just like that, that rain. It shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Somehow that centurion understood Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. That centurion was told that he had the greatest faith of any man in all of Israel. That centurion knew that his spoken word as a centurion over those soldiers, that if he told him to do something, he knew that that word wasn't going to go void. They were either going to do it or he was going to court-martial him, or he was going to put him in jail, or he would have him beaten, or, or whatever. 
He knew the power of his word, and it never returned void. If he told soldiers to do something, he could bet his bottom dollar, the soldiers were going to do it or they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so he knew that Jesus had power over demons and sickness, just like he had power over his underlings and subordinate soldiers. And when he said something, he knew it wasn't going to go void like everybody's just going to sit there and go, huh, we don't care what you say, dude. We don't have to do anything. No, he knew that wasn't going to be the response. He knew that when he spoke the word, things were going to jump, and you know it was like, how high do you want us to jump? He knew that when he spoke the word, there was authority, there was power, there was going to be a change, there was going to be an effect. And he saw Jesus going around healing people, and he said, this guy's got power and authority. It's a word that I can't even dream about. And all I got to do, he doesn't have to come to my house. All he's got to do is say, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. All he's got to say is, be healed, servant. And Jesus said, according to your faith. You've got the greatest faith I've seen in all of Israel. In other words, all the church folk don't have half the faith you do. And he really brought something out. That God's word on its own, if it's just believed, is able to do everything. See, we put our faith in God's word. Not, we don't put faith in our prayers. We don't put faith in a person who... He, he didn't really... He didn't totally like put his faith in Jesus. He put faith in Jesus' spoken word. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And that's really kind of an amazing... That's really amazing. Let me give you a good example of that out of the Old Testament. You can go over there... And, and, and let, let me just... I'm going to just re- read that last part of 50... Uh, 55, 11 again. So shall my word be he that go, it goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that w- it shall accomplish that which I please. Everybody say, it shall accomplish. it shall accomplish. That which I please. It shall accomplish. You know, for 400 years, you can go to Exodus and it says that for 400 years, the children of Israel cried out to God about their oppressors. And for 400 years, nothing happened. Now, the first part of those 400 years, when Joseph was alive and around, things were pretty good for a pretty good while. But then, you know, probably the last 250, 300 years, it got pretty bad. And they were slaves. And they were oppressed. And Pharaoh made them, you know, build his buildings and make his bricks and be his slaves and crack the whip on their backs. And it wasn't very nice. And they cried out to God. And they cried out to God. And how many of you know nothing was happening? Then he raised up Moses, and he said, Moses, and you can read this, this is powerful, and, and let's just go there, let's just go to Exodus 3, 18 and 22, and he tells him to get down and pray to me real, real hard. Get down and pray to me. They've been crying for 400 years, but if you'll just cry for a few more days, it's all going to change. No, he didn't say anything like that. He said, and they shall hearken to thy voice. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him. Everybody say, say unto him. The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness. And then you see in verse 5, he tells Moses to go alone and with Aaron, and say, let my people go. Well, was let my people go, was that the word of God? Is that what God told him to say? Anybody answer? Didn't God tell him to go say, let my people go? So does that make it the word of the Lord? If God tells you to say it, and it's God's word, and you're supposed to say it. God's word today, he's trying to get us to say it to the pharaohs in our life. 
Nothing happens for 400 years. And he says, and we can read about it. You go on to verse 18, and we'll just keep reading there. And, and it says, oh, what did I do? I got off Exodus. And, and you go on in that text after he says, go and tell them, let my people go. He says something very, very interesting. And it's very strange how he says this. Let's go three days in the wilderness and sacrifice on the Lord. Verse 19, and I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by, my, by a mighty hand. In other words, he's saying, okay, you cried to me for 400 years. I'm not going to cause anything to happen. But now I'm telling you to go speak the word to your problem, Mr. Pharaoh. Go speak the word to him. How many of that's different than crying to God? That's a completely different dynamic. And yet they were just sure they just had to keep crying to the Lord. They, how many of you know thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people can be deceived for hundreds and hundreds of years and nothing and none of their prayers will ever be answered. He tells one man, go speak the word to a major situation about a whole nation. And look what he says. And he says, and even though he won't cooperate, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by my hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt. And all the wonders which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that, he will let you go. Then he talks about, and I'll give you all the money when the people walk out of Egypt. He says that next. How many of there's a huge difference to putting, you know, your faith in praying, oh God, oh God, will you do it? And speaking and putting faith in what God's word says to do with the spoken word. See, these are two different types of prayer. I would say most of the church is those, is those oppressed slaves, those Israelites who are sick, oppressed, and slaves, and cried to God day and night. I would say that's where most of the church is today. And every once in a while, there's a Moses that rises up and speaks God's word to the problem. And even though the problem isn't going to respond, then God gets up and says, my word doesn't go void. Even though it doesn't want to respond to my word, I'm going to go down and literally kick it, kick its rear end until it does obey. And that's the fight of demons. That, that's what happens with demonic forces. And I like the idea of speaking God's word because I know what it says in Jeremiah 1 and 12. Turn with me quickly to Jeremiah 1, 12. And look what God says about his word. God, God says he's exalted his word even above his name. Well, in Jesus' name, I command you to stop, devil. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, it is written, devil. See the difference between just praying in Jesus' name or praying the word in Jesus' name? Yes. See, Jesus didn't say, well, in my name, devil, leave me. I don't like you tempting me in this wilderness. But every time the devil came, he used scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. Even Jesus had to use the word in his prayer life. Can I get an Amen. So Jeremiah 1, 7, 1, 12, I like this verse of Scripture. It's very insightful because it tells you how God relates to his word again. In Jeremiah 1, 12, it says, Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Wow. See, in the margin of the Bible, it says, I will watch over my word to perform it. See, God's word is at stake here. There's something bigger than your request. There's something bigger than your need. There's something that God exalts even above his name. 
which is his word. And if his word comes apart, so will the universe come apart at the seams. How many of you know his word is what upholds and sustains all things, it says in Hebrews? If his word created all things and it upholds and sustains all things, like it says in Hebrews 3, then we better focus on his word because that's the glue, that's the foundation, that's the everything that holds everything together. It's not your prayer request. It certainly isn't your need. God is not moved by need. He's moved by faith. That's a big misconception in the church world today. And he doesn't watch over you. He watches over his word to perform it. So it's a good thing to get on the word train and hang out with his word. It's a good thing to attach yourself to his word because his word is going to go over and not go under. His word is what's going to win. His word is going to be established forever in heaven. And you don't need the word to come around to you. You need to come around to the word. And in your prayer life, you need to come around to the word. You see, because he's going to hasten to perform it because his word's at stake. And he is watching to make sure that it's going to be kept. I'm going to have to move through this pretty quick, but I think I should try to finish it tonight. Well, maybe not. I've got a lot to go. But we've got, it'll be three weeks before I preach again. Because next week Jeremy preaches and next week Josh preaches. How many will give me like maybe seven minutes? Should we just get, knock it out tonight? Because you'll forget what I was talking about in three weeks. God always keeps his word. But do you keep yours? It's just as important that you keep your words. John fifteen seven says, If you abide in me and if my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. How many of God's promises are all contingent upon an if? If you abide in me, and if my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. How many of you have God's word abiding in you, living in you? Yes. And living in you means it's the word of God. Jesus is living in you, exercising and living out the word. See, Brother Hagin, as you say, if you don't keep your word, you won't believe that God keeps his word. You won't be able to. Where do we get that? Psalms 15.4. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? David starts out in verse 1. Then by the time he hits verse 4 in Psalms 15, he says, He who swears, he who swears even to his own hurt and changes not. You have to keep your word, even if it becomes disadvantageous for you to do so. I can remember a time where I had promised to help my dad with something, and then my friends came up and they wanted me to go do something that I'd been really wanting to do with them. I can remember this happening numerous times. And my dad would say, you need to keep your word. And I wouldn't go out and have a good time with my friends. I'd stay home and help my dad. See, in 1 John five fourteen, it says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, we know that he's granted us the petitions that we've desired of him. This is the confidence we have if we ask anything and you take that word confidence, it just means faith. And this is the faith that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his, and his will is his word, and his word is his will. So you could paraphrase that scripture and say this, and it would make it more understandable. This is the faith that I have in him. That if I ask anything according to his word, I know that he hears me. If I know that he hears me, I know that he has granted me the petitions that I've desired of him. 
His hearing me is determined by whether I have confidence to ask anything according to his word. A lot of people say, Pastor, but why do you always just pray the word? Why do you just quote all the scriptures while you're praying? Because I have no confidence in anything else. What else would I put my confidence in? Because he says, this is the confidence, or this is the faith that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his word, we know that he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, he has granted us the petitions that we desired of him. So getting it granted means hearing. Hearing is dependent on whether it's his word, because he isn't going to listen to anything else. And if it's his word, it's that's what we're supposed to have confidence or faith in. If you go backwards in that progression of thought, you'll find that it all goes back to his word, not you or your request. It's you putting your confidence in his word, not your prayer, not your good life, not your way of impressing God, trying to get him to do something for you. It's always about his word. And the reason we must have his word abiding in us is because it's our confession that comes out of our heart where we put, it, put his word. Amen. Now I'm going to give you a scripture. I'm going to close with two scriptures. It's Isaiah 43, 26. Turn there quickly. And I say this because tomorrow is National Day of Prayer. And I'm going to show you where one person prayed for the nation of Israel. And I'm going to show you how he prayed for the nation of Israel when God wanted to destroy them. God wanted to destroy... You know, I wonder if God would be maybe inclined to judge America right now. I think that he just might be. And I think that we better be praying. Because if God decides to do that, uh, we could have horrors untold like we've never known in America. If we ever got judged for what we deserved, killing 60 million babies, now let me see, that would mean 60 million people would have to die. Because the blood of the babies are crying out just like the blood of Abel cried out against Cain. And if you want to call justice true justice, that would mean he, God would have to allow 60 million of us to be killed the same way we've killed 60 million babies and stood by on the sideline and let it happen. So, I pray not for God's justice, I pray for God's mercy. How about you? Amen. So Isaiah 43, 26, look what it says. It says, put me in remembrance and let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Wow. But let's go up one verse. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. In other words, God is looking for a way to show mercy, not for a way to judge us. Put me in remembrance. Everybody say, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Amen. And he goes on, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Why would we have to put God in remembrance? Well, I'll never forget... You know, I told Rachel, every, every semester that you get a 4.0, it got expensive. I'll give you 100 bucks. And it was amazing how I would forget that. <laughs> I just couldn't remember that for the life of me. But I had given my word. And, you know, Rachel must have known this verse. Because she would always put me in remembrance of my word. Yeah, didn't you say you're going to give me a hundred bucks if I got a 4.0? And, I mean, I was really glad that she got that 4.0. But I wasn't always glad that I had to give her that hundred bucks. But I was glad that, because you know what, it motivated her. But I kept my word. Aren't you proud of me? I kept my word. And I gave her that hundred bucks. And so, we remind God of his word. And there's a story in Numbers 14 we're going to close. Now we're on the last scripture. And that was the second to the last. We're out of time. I'm on borrowed time. So 
Here we know the story, Numbers 14, 11 through 20. And it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? This is after they came out of Egypt and they're murmuring against him. And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. See, God just wants you to believe his word. I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses rose up with what I called in my title, promised prayer. Promise-based prayer, that's what I said. Promise-based prayer. Look what he did. This is some of the most amazing verses of Scripture in the whole Bible that comes next. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. Come, let us plead together. Now he's pleading with them. And Isaiah 1.18 says, Come, let us reason together. In Isaiah 43, it says, come, let us plead together. How many of you know reasoning and pleading your case is a court of law term? And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among his people, that thou, Lord, art among his people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them as a daytime in the pillar, and have a cloud in the pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring his people out into the land, which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness." And now here's the verse. Listen to me now. Verse 17. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken. Ooh. So he's saying, you know, you want to kill these dudes and all the heathens are going to see it and say, hey, you couldn't bring them out. Are you not big enough, God, to bring out your own people and make them a success? And by the way, also, you said, God. Ooh. He starts to remind God of his word. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering. Oh, now he's going to start talking about God's mercy. And of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation. That happens to be Exodus 34, verse 6. So Moses is quoting to God how merciful that God declares himself to be. Right when God's thinking about killing all of his people. And you don't think we have power in prayer? And he didn't turn God around by saying, well, I think you ought to do this. I think that because that, all those heathens are going to see you and say, hey, uh, that big powerful God in Egypt that has the pillar of fire by day and, the, and, and, and the, the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, he's just not quite big enough to bring his people out and take them into their little promised land that he's been talking to them about all these years. And, and have I got you convinced yet, God? I don't think that convinces God. But the minute Moses said, oh, and by the way, according as thou hast spoken, now it's his word at stake. Now it's that thing that creates the universe. Now it's that thing that causes a person to be born again, born again not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed, even as the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is the creative force. It is the thing. It says that he has exalted his word even above his name. See, whenever you talk God's word, then you're talking about something that never returns void. Now you're talking about something that God 
hastens and watches over to perform. Now you're talking about something that created the universe. Now you're talking about something that never, ever changes. It's forever established in heaven, and you cannot change it. Now you're talking about something that God values above his own name. Now you're talking about something when you bring that before God. It isn't just little Timmy wants this and Sally wants this. Now it's what God himself has declared and said. And let it now be my prayer. And it used to be in your mouth, God, and now it's in my mouth. What are you going to do about it? Then verse 19, now he starts his prayer. Now, in verse 19, he starts his prayer. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. See, Brother Hagin says, if you can't believe your own word, you'll never be able to believe God's. And notice who it says that they would be pardoned according to Moses' word. Why? Because Moses spoke to God his word. See, when it comes to prayer, you don't just go to God and say, oh, I think this and I want that and I'm going to plead together with you and I'm going to come and bring my case to you. Come let us reason together. Come let us plead our case together and all that and then leave it there. You don't go into a courtroom as a lawyer and say, well, I think you ought to let this guy off because I think he's a nice guy and I don't think that he should be going to jail and I know his parents are going to cry and I know all this. No, the lawyer brings precedent. He brings the laws of that court to the judge. And where a lawyer defends a man in in a court of law, he doesn't use his words. He uses the court's own laws Words that already are in existence and in precedent in the form of laws that already exist, that aren't even his own, that the court has already made and the judges have already laid down the precedent. He doesn't come with his own words. He comes with the courtroom and the judges' words that have already existed through precedent and former lawmaking and legislation. We don't come to God with our requests. We come to God with the laws that the judge recognizes that he has to abide by. And that out-trumps everything. It out-trumps every every argument. It trumps every feeling. It trumps every want to. It trumps everything that you can bring into the court of law is the law has the final word. And God's word is law and has the final word. And that's why you come to him and it's... Starts out, he says, I want you to underline two things in your Bible in this verse, and we're going to close. I want you to take verse 17, and it says, according as thou hast spoken. I want you to underline that. Take an arrow and go down to verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. So Moses says, I'm bringing you your word. And he says, now, because you've made my word your, I'm going to pardon according to your word. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, if you believe you receive me, you shall have them. But before that, he says in Mark 11, 23, I was 24, he said, speak to the mountain this. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And that only works if you're saying God's word, because Moses said God's word to God, and God says, I will pardon according to to your word. When you make God's word your words, God will always accept your words because they're really his words. Let's stand up and be dismissed. Amen. Promise-based prayer. God had promised that in Exodus 34, 6 to the children of Israel. And Moses brought up that promise.
And God honored it even though he didn't even want to. He wanted to do with the children of Israel. But he will obey his word above all else.